Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 59 of the Lift Free and Die Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. It's actually the second one I've recorded today. If you're listening to this now, I hope a week ago, you've already heard Don Saladino. He came on, he was wonderful. But I'm excited to have my good friend, Jonathan Goodman here. So if you guys don't already know who Jonathan is, he's been a past guest a number of times. We're talking about 11-time author uh, of primarily fitness books, I would imagine. Uh, you're the <laughs> owner of the person. Have you ever written a book that's not fitness? Uh, you're the I wrote a marketing book. I mean, I wrote I wrote the what I am using as the playbook for what I'm doing on Instagram right now. I wrote a marketing book called Vironomics. Came out in 2013, that's and true. it is more relevant today than it was back then. And it's I'm lit- it's literally my playbook for what I'm doing. Well, I'm actually going to put it back at the queue of the audio and uh, boot it up again because I love that book, but it's been a while. So on top of those 11 books, I mean, you're the owner of the Personal Trainer Development Center. You are the owner of the Online Trainer Academy. And what we'll talk about today is a new venture, uh, Quick Coach, which you are taking what, I guess, it, it's a free platform for trainers. It's uh, getting out there into the space of the, the trainer eyes and the true coach stuff. And uh, hopefully you'll beat these people at their own game. Uh, hopefully I don't because we're not playing their game. Oh, fair. Yeah, even better. That's way. that's that's the entire thing. You know, we're Quick Coach is is a totally different market. I I looked. I know the world of software for trainers inside and out. I've been an advisor. Or I've advised almost every software company. Trainerize, PT Distinction, Exercise.com. Um, I've been in negotiations, very deep negotiations, to buy two of the training companies. And, um, and the reason why it didn't go was because, you know, I would have been, I, I would have bought either a majority um, or, you know, an even share as the owners. But I said, the only way that I'm buying these is by radically simplifying them because there is zero competitive advantage to what you're doing right now. There's, there's a great story that I always go back to, which is the story of the Nintendo Wii. And, um, and, I, and I love telling this because... PlayStation, you know, Sony, Microsoft with PlayStation with the Xbox, uh, basically were in an arms race, right, with their consoles. And I know that you're a video game guy, so you'll like this, right? Everything was more processing power, more realistic gameplay, and it cost a fortune, right? To the point where consoles were historically always sold at a negative. It cost, the, it cost the company so much to make them that they sold the consoles at a negative, and then they sell the games and try to make it up. Right. And it was just a constant R&D. I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Nintendo looked at this and they basically said, OK, well, all of these people, all of these companies are competing over a tiny sliver of the potential market of people who might play video games. Right. The early adopters, the really obsessed video game players. But there's the entire rest of the pie, i.e. 99.5 percent of the population who currently doesn't play video games. Why don't we go after them? What would that mean? And the result of that was the Nintendo Wii. The Nintendo Wii, instead of being sold at a negative, was sold at a $40 profit on day one. And it's never been improved because it's not based on processing power and graphics and whatever it is. It's the same product. It's been in the top 10 selling consoles for the last decade. It's insane how many units they've sold and what they've done with that. And so I look at the software world the same way. All of the software platforms that are out there for personal trainers are all in an arms race, right? More features, more integrations, more everything. Like, I well, I know this world inside and out. I know that most trainers don't use software right now. 
And I know that most trainers that do use software are unhappy with their current solution because it's bloated, it's too expensive, it's too complicated to use, my clients don't like it. It's not right for me, right? And I kind of looked at this and said, well, let's take a full first principles approach. So we've been working on this for two years. We worked with product innovation team out of Boston that teaches at Harvard. We've been doing a lot of testing. We know our audience inside and out and we built a radically simple tool. We basically built the Nintendo Wii of the trainer software. We are in no way competing with Trainer Eyes, with PT Distinction, with True Coach. Those are fantastic platforms. For the most part, they're very well built. And for a very tiny, tiny sliver of the trainer population, they're perfect. But they're also either misserving or not serving 95% of trainers. And so we're going after that part. I guess I remember these conversations because you and I had a conversation as you were doing your, you were gathering evidence, information, mm-hmm. talking to the people in the industry about what they wanted. So I remember our call on that. I'm trying to think of the way I want to say this question. Okay, well, here's an important one. Online trainer software often scales with price with the number of clients you have in there. Yep. Is one of the goals to have a software that can also be used for the in-person clientele and not just mm-hmm. the online clientele? Yeah, ours is, I, I, I believe that the future of personal training is hybrid. Um, I think that a tool has to be, you have to be able to use it. Like most trainers are not going to be 100% online. Most trainers are not going to be 100% in person, right? That's one thing that COVID showed us is that both of those business models are frail. Not to say that you can't do both exclusively, but a tool has to be able to be used for both of them independently or both of them at the same time. You know, a trainer who's training a client, like, you know, I talked to, I talked to Ben Bruno, who, you know, we know and love. And I talked to him about how he trains Justin Timberlake. Like to use a very extreme example, right? How he sends him his workouts. You know, he sends him his workouts. Justin or somebody on Justin's team walks around a hotel gym, wherever he is, and films it, sends it to Ben. Ben then types up a workout in the notes file of his phone and sends that to Justin. I know Jordan Jordan Syatt operates the same way. Jordan has always been, um, you know, what is it? Google Docs and email type guy. Who believes in it? Yep, yep. So 100. It, it's got to be. It's got to be there for both of them. Um, and I, I mean, one thing that I'm that I was passionate about is I just really love playing with new business models. And the reason for that is a couple of reasons. One is I just get bored really quick. <laughs> but also, I don't think that there's much competitive advantage in stuff that's already been figured out. Like information's democratized. Like there's no competitive advantage in data for example. And, um, and so, but there's a competitive advantage in, in being creative and in, in exploring new business models that others are not willing to explore. And so the business model that I'm exploring is free, not freemium, free. So Quick Coach is 100% free for everybody who uses it. There's no feature limitations. You, could use, you can use it with one client. You can use it with 10,000 clients. It's 100% free. And I'm looking at it as a marketing expense, right? To sell our education, to sell our mentorship. And then what we're going to be building into it is invoicing and payment processing. And then if you decide to use it for that, you don't have to, but if you decide to use it for that, well, like any payment processing company, it won't cost you any more to process the payments than Stripe or PayPal will. Um, But 
we'll have a fraction of a percentage of each one, which will, you know, not going to make us rich, but I, you know, it's a user acquisition play, right? It's a marketing play. It's not anything other than that. It's basically saying, what if we can actually just build a really great gift for our people? You know, if I'm going to spend half a million bucks building something and look at it as a marketing expense, what's better? Can I spend that? Um, can I spend that on Facebook ads, sending you a shitty ebook that you don't even want and then try to spin that and nurture you and get you to buy, you know, some course? Or can I spend that developing a tool that actually is going to fundamentally improve what you do, save you money because now you don't need to use bloated software, make you more professional, make your clients love you more. And by the way, you're going to be logging into this tool multiple times a day, i.e. impressions. Seems to me like it's a pretty interesting new model to explore. It's not the way that most people think. And you're also engaged right now in another quote acquisition model. You've really shifted how you have approached your social media. You've approached the- <laughs> You mean I've started to use it? <laughs> yeah, we, we've, talked, we've talked a lot about this too. And if anybody's already been following along, they notice that you've been hyper engaged with it. You've been sharing on a daily basis. I mean, and what brought about that shift of gears? What philosophy, was it tied in with the philosophy of shifting the business model? Because we're going to talk about that too. It was something we talked about off air. So I guess what's the big, I'll ask it this way. What's the big long game play here? And why are you doing these different components of it? Yeah, man, this is a big question. So feel free to go deeper into any, any of these pieces. I'll try to be as succinct as possible. Um, the fitness industry has largely been consolidated. Most education companies, all the big almost all of the big education companies, and almost all of the softwares have now been bought by private equity and venture capital. And when that happens, the responsibility of the company, the fiduciary responsibility of the company is to appease its investors. It no longer takes care of its customers. This is just straight up what happens. There's a sports sociologist that I've always liked. His name is Jean-Marie Brome. He's a French guy, but his work's translated to English. One of the things that he said about athletes is that when his athlete becomes a professional athlete, he no longer owns his body. His body belongs to the agents, to the fans, to the owners of the team. We saw this play out in real life with Jack Eichel last month. Mm, right. Jack Eichel, for anybody who, who doesn't know, was on the Buffalo Sabres, NHL hockey player, perennial all-star, Hobie Baker award winner, best college player, really good player, needed neck surgery. His team, the doctors of his team, believe that he needed one type of surgery. His own personal doctors believe that he needed another one. The NHL collective bargaining agreement states that he has to sign in order to sign his contract, states that the team's doctors own the decision. Think about how messed up that is for a moment. There was a stalemate. He didn't play. He had his captaincy stripped from the team because he refused to play for the team. Eventually, they traded him to the Las Vegas Golden Knights, and he had the surgery that he wanted. That is a great example of a human being not owning his body, right? Think about that now in context to, you know, these education companies and these software companies owned by investment companies, right? The investment companies only care about making money. 
They care about making as much money as they can right now. As a result, they're not, their primary goal is not to give you really what you need. It's to provide a profit for their investors. It's just how the world works, right? And, and not only that, these companies are often billion dollar companies, right? Nice, nice Calvin. tattoo. That's Calvin. That's Calvin. These companies are largely multi-billion dollar companies that own these. And so if you think about it, right? There's absolutely, there's absolutely no competitive advantage to, to competing against them in that way, right? Because they're just going to, they're going to hand your butt to you. So I kind of looked at this and I, I looked at the way that the fitness world was going. I said, all right, where am I going to put my flag down in the sand? I want to be around for a lot of years, right? I want to be able to bring the fitness industry together. I believe fitness is preventative health. I believe fitness and health professionals have the ability to change the world. I truly do. But they need to receive the tools, the resources, and the education that they actually need to be successful in the field. And right now, straight up, they aren't getting it. And that problem is only going to get worse. Because more and more of these companies are now part of this greedy big fitness institution problem, right? And so I took a look at it and I said, all right, well, my company was pretending to be big for a long time. We spoke in corporate niceties masquerading as bullshit pitches, sales pitches, you know, it was all like John behind the scenes. It was all corporate nice talk. It wasn't human, you know? And I looked at that and I just said, our competitive advantage what we can do that these people never can and will never be able to do is we can serve them way better on the ground floor. We can be real humans. We can speak from the heart. We don't need to appease investors, right? We don't have to answer to anybody. That's a hell of an advantage in an industry where almost all of your competitors are owned by investment companies. And when I came to that realization, I said, holy shit, we're going to the edge of the map here with this one, boys. So I had largely to appease my ego over the last number of years, built a big business, right? I pulled staff VPs of major companies away from their roles to work for me because I wanted to tell my buddies that I have these people working for me that used to work for these important companies. It was all bullshit ego, right? But I had these people working for me. And what do corporate people do when they come into a company is they make the company more corporate. And you saw that with us. Nobody cared about us for the last couple of years. I'll be the first to admit that. We were met with apathy, everything that we did, right? And so I let go all of our senior staff. And I took back control of everything. And I put into place in our company, do less better be more human. And we're going to the edge of the map with that, right? I'm writing an email once a month. It's for me, the same type of email I'd send to a friend. I'm not nurturing you with bullshit sales pitches. I'm not feeding you some free course or free ebook and then spinning that into some bullshit scarcity offer that you know actually isn't real. Like $400 off, fuck you. You've never sold that at full price. You and I both know that. 
you're telling me that you forgot to include a link in an email. So you're sending another email. I've seen you launch this thing four times. You forgot that link each time. Like, don't bullshit, man. And so it's just, it's when, you know, we're working with a, with a consultant who I really love. His name is Louis Granier. He runs a podcast called Everybody Hates Marketers, which, which is worth a listen. And um, he helped us do a lot of this. He helped me through a lot of this. And, uh, and when we came to this, you know, conclusion that this is our competitive advantage, this feels right. This feels good. You've seen me in the last month, man. I'm fired up. What have you seen me like this? You're right? totally alive. I'm alive. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it's just going, it's like pushing the envelope edge of the map. Like this is what we believe, like straight up. Like what I'm saying right now, I would not have said last year because we had corporate people working for us and we had to be nice and we had to say nice things and we couldn't swear. Fuck that. (laughs) Right. This is, if you don't like it, totally fine. Buy another fucking dumbass certification from NASM. Like go ahead. Right. You know, you and I both know that getting a MMA certification from NASM is not going to help your career, right? But if that makes you feel good, go ahead and do it. Like, it's just a matter of like, look, this is, this is what's going on. This is what's real. This is what's right. And, um, and speaking like humans to humans, because I feel like that's the only respectful way to operate. And I feel like a lot of the way that these companies are communicating to their audiences is unbelievably disrespectful and dishonest. Something you said there. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> the, the gating certifications, this classic thing, but this is productive procrastination. Yes. I've got an entire article on this whole thing. It's about, you know, create more, consume less. You guys chose it a couple of years back because 2019 is one of the best articles of the year on the PTDC's weekly oh, list. There you go. I know you've now I, mean, I definitely remember that and had a lot to do with that. Yes. <laughs> well, I know your team is the one who picks that stuff out. Well, that was actually, that, yeah, that's true. That was, that list of best articles was always an unbiased list chosen by people outside of our company on purpose. So that's yeah. true. I just had Shane McLean on two episodes ago oh, on the cool. podcast and he was great. He's funny. Like yeah. this guy needs to do more like video and audio. because he's. And you never see it. That's the thing, right? You never see it. You would never know. He's and- writing these boilerplate boring articles for all these publications. And he's the greatest guy with so much to offer that's funny, that's nice, that's communicative. And he's writing an article on, you know, the best squat you've never done for the like 30th time. And I'll I'll qualify what you just said with something that I believe. There is a lot of value. And and the term I've been using is career capital in being able Mm -hmm. to say, hey, I write for, Shane writes for muscle and fitness. That's that's huge, that's enormous. He writes for Barband. He writes for some other really big publications. You know, he's written for you guys. You only got to write once for those places to say that I write for them. (laughs) I did that with you. I I pitched something to you. You like the idea. It was based off of you seeing something I posted. It's about the whole kids and gyms thing. You did your own post, tagged me in it, here inspired by. I said, hey, John, how about if I turn this into an article? You're like, sure. Let's talk to Geraldine. Boom, it happened. I have that writing credit. I am proud to display that badge on my website. It's prominently on my website. I value it. I, I love that experience. It was really valuable. And when someone sees on my bio, and I said this with Dawn in the last episode, when mm-hmm. someone looks at my Instagram bio, cause they saw one of our Twitter graphics that's been shared and they look and they see the, Oh, 
John is the owner of the Personal Trainer Development Center and all these other things and has written 11 books. Those are pieces of career capital, massive pieces. When they see that I write for T Nation, Generation Iron, PTDC, that sets you apart. And it's something I believe it's worth putting some time and effort into instead of, again, this productive procrastination of reading just another boilerplate article. And hey, I, I'm going to read this article about how to do a Romanian deadlift. You know how to fucking teach a Romanian deadlift. You've read 10 articles on all, already, right? You it's, are gonna... It gets to the point where you, you know enough to do a good job and knowing more about that thing, well, noble is not actually going to in any way improve your success or your client's success, right? It's nominal. It's, it's like, it's not to say that you shouldn't always try to get better. That's not at all what I'm saying. It's just, you've got to appreciate that there's effectively 10 steps in the client life cycle. And most of all of the client work in the education is only around step six, right? You've got to attract, engage, sell a client. Those are the first three, right? Then you've got to do your intake with the client then you've got to assess a client. At that point, you build your program, right? That's step six. Then you have to deliver your program. That's step seven. Then you need to, oh, sorry, there's all the legal stuff at the beginning too. So there's legal stuff. And then, and then at the end of it, after you've delivered the program, you've got to take great care of your client. And then you've got to, it's, it's retention and referrals. And what's crazy to me is the vast, vast, vast majority, like if you do a temperature check and you say, I'm, am I red, yellow, or green on each of those steps, right? You will probably, if you're listening to this, you're probably going to think about it and be like, I've literally never spent any time on anything other than step six. Like even down to how you deliver the program to the client. You've built it. How nice is it for them to receive it? Think about when you get a product, what's the unboxing like? How important is that, right? And, and so, you know, what, what I really want to do is basically fill in the gaps of all of those other things, right? This is everything that your certification should have taught you, but didn't. Lord knows NASM's not teaching anybody that stuff. Well, again, I mean, we can hate on NASM. We can hate on NASM. Um, Chris Hitchcock loves to hate on NASM. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people love to hate on NASM. Like NASM's like like the, I mean, NASM's so much bigger than everybody else. It's yeah. like, it's put it this way. NASM's competition for everybody else. Nobody's competition for NASM. <laughs> like, like they're just irrelevant. Um, and um, and I, you know, for, for a variety of reasons, because I've had a lot of inner dealings with them, um, they wanted to either buy me outright or, or license the Online Trainer Academy and we went super deep with them. Um, I don't want anything to do with them ever again and won't ever work with them in any capacity. But that having been said, um, and I won't share you know, more than that, but the reality of it is NASM is owned by, can't remember what it is, again, an investment firm, right? Their responsibility is to an investment firm. That's it. And so they're going to sell not what people need. This is, this is not a knock against them. This is how business works, right? They're, they're going to sell what makes them the most amount of money. And what makes them the most amount of money, unfortunately, is not what trainers need. Because a lot of what trainers want to buy is this productive procrastination, is stuff they're already good at. I like doing stuff I'm already good at too, right? I mean, I got told straight up by 
two of the three major certification bodies in the United States that we've tried, you know, we've tried a few business courses before and they don't sell well, so we just don't do it, right? And then they're promising, you know, job placements and success and whatever it is. And then people are coming out of their programs and have no idea what to do. And uh, that's just, that's just what it is. I got told by the head of marketing at one of the major certification companies, you can't make this up. It's frightening. This wasn't NASM, by the way, to be, to be very clear. Um, the programs that we sell are for people who were not smart enough to go to college. And so what we do is we build programs that are quicker and easier and cheaper than the other guys. And we target people who aren't quite smart enough to do the other ones. That was the head of marketing at one of the certification companies. This is the world that's responsible for training the people who are responsible for preventative health in our society. Think about how messed up that is, <laughs> right? So, I mean, that's, you know, like, to me, it's not about competing with them. It's just like, there's a better way, man. I want to bring people together. I want to bring the good people together, right? I want to give them the tools and the resources that they actually need to succeed. And I want to do this in a, in a, in a unbelievably human way, respectful of the people that we serve, the people that we work with, because they're remarkable. Well, the quote that you said um, earlier when we were chatting, competitive advantage by being human. I yeah. wanted to throw, like, go nuts with that. Explain. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that in this day and age, you know, with, with social media, for example, where it's easier than ever to talk and to, you know, connect, right? And we feel more disconnected than we've ever been. And, um, and being an actual human that listens to humans and genuinely cares about other humans and then appreciates them and invites them back another time, not somebody who puts out a post on Instagram and asks for comments because they think it's going to help their post propagate in the algorithm. And then when you actually comment, they give you some thumbs up right? That they don't actually care. There, there's, a, there's a rhetorical question that I've been asking people a lot lately. And I'll ask you it, Andrew. When was the last time, and you don't have to answer, this is a rhetorical question, right? Mm. When was the last time, or can you remember a time when you had an interaction with either a company or an influential person, where you got the feeling that they gave any kind of a shit what you had to say? And because of my rich network of connections and friends you do. in our industry, I uniquely do. Like I said, I just had Don Saladino on the podcast. Don has got a massive following. He coaches the who's who of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. He just built a gym that you know rivals the Rock's Iron Paradise awesome. on his property in New York. He gave me a visual tour. This thing is gorgeous. And Don could not stop deflecting kindness and respect back to me in our conversation. He continued to say kind things about other people, his friends in the industry, like Ben Bruno and Dr. Jordan Shallow. Mm -hmm. And he was very interested in stuff I was doing. 
And that's not an uncommon thing based on my effort to go out into the industry and also, I guess, share and support without any expectation in return, all right. of the people that have, that I've learned from. You're a great example. I routinely share and support your work on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done you know, various different things. Like I said, we've, I've written for the PTDC. I've promoted, formally promoted the Online Trainer Academy. And I do it because I think it's a great program. I've done the Online Trainer Academy. And you very early on in this process, we met 2018, Kansas City Fitness Summit. Mm-hmm. And you took an interest in what mm-hmm. I was doing. And so, but I think that that's the rare part to the point of your question. It's not that common. And anyone listening, I hope that they're, also answering that same question in their head. And what I'm noticing with you and your media now is you're back investing your social media and you're engaging in that authentic kind of way. I've connected right. you with a handful of people. I've given you some suggestions and I know that you've turned around and, and interacted with those people. Mm-hmm. So I hope that everybody listening will now turn around and if they're not currently following your media and what you're doing, well, A, there's great stuff there, but there's a lot of lessons you're teaching as you're going. Something that I do actively with my social mm-hmm. media I teach you do a better job than me. You explain more than I do. And that's something that I want to be doing a little bit more of. Um, you explain what you're doing and why you're doing it really, really well. Thank you. And it's been fun. I've gotten to write some articles on it. In fact, I just wrote an article about it. You're mentioned in there a couple of points because you illustrate some really key concepts. And that article is going to be turned into a presentation uh, for Kabuki Education Week, which has come oh, from... That's super cool. I'm honored, right? So I get to, mm-hmm. I got to share that up on my social media. By the time people are listening, it'll be up there. Cool. And, but all this stuff we're talking about didn't happen quickly or overnight because of some sort of like contrived effort to profit from it. This is years of relationships. This is years of interacting with people. And like I said, without any expectation of something in return. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think there's this misconception about social media that, you know, oh, I need to, you know, master video in order to be good at it, or I need to do whatever is the best thing to do for the algorithm today in order to reach the most amount of people. And, um, and that's just simply not true. You know, how you, how you, you, you will get what you want if you give other people what they want. Life is as simple as that. And so you think about, okay, if, if you if you buy into that, right? I, I think you'd have a hard time arguing that. But if you if you if you do buy into that, you get what you want if you give other people what they want. Okay. So there's two people involved in the equation. If we're talking about Instagram, there's two people involved in the equation, right? There's Instagram, and then there's other people in your community, right? Other people who use users of Instagram. And so, how do you give both of them what they want? in order so that you get what you want. Okay, well, people use social media for two reasons. They use it to feel appreciated for what they are, and they use it to improve their perceived status in a community. And Status can mean a lot of things and, and perceived status is a major one, right? Like, like my self-worth has nothing to do with how smart you actually think that I am. My self-worth has everything to do with how smart I think you think that I am. 
And so when I talk about perceived status, it's, it's a concept called selective self-representation, right? Actions that people take in social media networks and communities are all done to improve their perceived status by making themselves feel like they appear intelligent, interesting, intellectual, attractive, or funny. If you can make somebody feel like they appear one of those ways, then you have given them what they want. Combine that with the very clear cut data that in and around 15% of all users on social networks never create a, a message of their own. So only 15% of people ever create their own message, but 85% of people are what's considered active users, meaning that they interact in some way with at least one post or message from somebody else on social media each week. And so put all this together, right? Most people never create their own message. They want to feel and they want other people to know, right? That they're attractive, intellectual, interesting. Um, uh, what were the other ones? Attractive or, or, or funny. Might've missed one there. Intelligent um, or funny. But they don't create their own message. All you have to do is understand who's already listening to you, not who you ultimately want to listen to you because you can't reach them yet, right? Who's already listening to you and basically just say what they're thinking. That's literally it. Because that's a really easy way for them to articulate what they want the world to know about them. And by the way, they're doing it with your words, right? So you've given them what they need. Okay, so that's part one. You've given the people what they want. But number two, how do you give the system what it wants? Instagram wants one thing. Instagram wants you to stay on Instagram for as long as humanly possible. So by engaging really thoughtfully in the comments and not accepting one word answers, right? And saying, hey, can you tell me more about that? Hey, I'm genuinely interested in what you have to say. And then going deeper and asking very good questions. And then when somebody's done, I mean, I'll say straight up, and I mean this like from the heart, like this is not bullshit. Like somebody goes deep with me in the comments, I'll say straight up, I'm like, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I can't even tell you how valuable that was for me selfishly. Like, and I hope other people got value too. Please, 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 like always feel free to share this deep in my comments. I can already tell that I have so much to learn from you and I, and I think others do too. Just appreciate, like deep, because it's true, right? They're remarkable. But think about what that does then for Instagram when people are now coming back and sharing deeply in these comments. Hey, you're giving the people what they want. You're giving them, you know, you're, you're appreciating them. You're allowing them to share themselves. And then they're coming back. They're staying longer on your post, right? And they're revisiting the same post time and time again, which are immediate triggers to Instagram that something about this thing happening right here is what we want. So Instagram then takes that and then propagates it into the Explorer page, into the feeds of other people. And that's how I'm getting 50 to 75% plus organic reach on every single post I'm putting out. Even more, I mean, I showed you some of the stats. Mm -hmm. Like we're getting 10, uh, by pages 28,000, I'm getting 10,000 plus on the Explore page for most posts, right? And it's because you're giving the system what it wants. Um, it's, it's that, like, it's that theory. It's that philosophy. Like you get what you want when you give other people what they want. So how can you do that? And your following has grown very rapidly. You're up over 
it's like almost 7,000 followers and probably what, like it's a month and a half, I think, since you pivoted, almost two. Three weeks. Three weeks, there you go. And I said this to you before, and it's kind of goes to the point I said before about creating career capital and like things that create brand awareness over the long run. You've been doing it for a very long time. Yeah. I really believe that A, those messages are profoundly shareable. You are an expert in marketing. You know how to write. You know how to craft messages that get people's attention. But I also, I also know, I mean, first of all, like, you know this, I'm really good at writing. Why? Because I've written every day for the last 11 years. I really know trainers. Why? Because I've spoken to trainers every day for the last 11 years. Like, it's just, it's putting in the reps, right? And I think what's happened is there's a lot of people who know who you are from those books, yes. read your books, who know you from your various different media. And all of a sudden, something gets shared up in someone's story and they go, oh shit, I know who Jonathan Goodman is. I cool. recognize that name. I'm yes. going to go follow you. The same thing happened, jo Josh Hillis, who's an amazing coach. And I, yeah. I really think everybody should go and fo uh, follow and dive into Josh's stuff. So Josh started emulating what I was doing on social media and he started getting oh, cool. And then I started sharing his stuff very aggressively and his following grew very rapidly. But I think a lot of people just found him again. Right. Yeah. I think his message is world-class. So he's finding new, new eyes, but people are finding him again. Kind of did the same thing with Brian Cron. Yeah. He started doing more and more of that stuff. Brian's a legendary coach. He's been around over 20 years. And he, Brian's coaching me right now. See, there you go. Right. And yep. Brian had, well, fuck less than 5,000 followers at one point. He's over 10 now. And one post got plagiarized and then a whole bunch of big accounts oh, yeah, started sharing the original and it drove, I think he got 2,500 followers in the space of a couple of days because of this. Oh, really? But a lot of people have heard of Brian. They're like, oh, they're discovering him again. Yeah. And this is accumulation of shit tons of stuff that they've done over the years on top of clever media. Mm. Anyway, hijacked yep. that a little bit. But no, 100%. I mean, look, a lot of people ask me like, oh, you know, I can't do what you're doing. You know, you've been like, like, obviously it's easier for you. It's like, yeah, it is. Right. That's why you invest into career capital so that it's easier in the future. Like that's, I mean, there's nothing more to it. It doesn't mean that it won't work though, right? It will just take longer. Everything is compounding. It's the most compounding is the most powerful force in the world, right? And if you start in the middle, you're going to start your compounding much faster than if you start at the beginning, but you're still compounding. And so, unfortunately, you know, if you look at an exponential curve, there's a lot of that curve where it seems like nothing's happening. But then you hit that inflection point and things just whoosh. speak to anybody who's broken through. I, I bet you have a similar story. Like you were doing what you were doing, right, really, really well for a long time was maybe a couple little successes here and there, but nothing to write home about. But you were, you were putting in the work, you were compounding, you were just compounding, starting small, right? Because you were just starting your journey. And, and you were, I mean, you were starting your, 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 your social media journey, right? You weren't starting your training journey, obviously. Um, but then you hit an inflection point. And I saw it happen. And every time I look back, it's like, shit, he's got 100 more. Shit, he's got 200 more. Why is everybody talking about this guy? I'm seeing this guy everywhere. All right, I got to be friends with this guy. You know? <laughs> but like, that's what happens. A lot of people just unfortunately never get to that point because it sucks. It's frustrating. It's hard. And the inflection, there was a few. Yeah, at, tell me about them. 
the podcast starting at four years ago and at mm-hmm. about seven and a half years into a career, the first mm-hmm. six quietly in a commercial gym. And then, you know, getting writing on T Nation. So I was first published on there almost three years ago. And that was a mm-hmm. significant inflection point, which led to some other writing. And then getting really serious about social media two years ago. I had 3,000 okay. followers January two years ago. And I started to write daily and share daily. Mm. And that slowly grew, slowly grew, slowly grew. Jordan Syatt shared a post by following jump by 10%. Mike Isertel started to share it. I've gone to dinner with and attended shit tons of Mike's stuff. Mike's a good friend. And right. he had a very big following, lost his original account. Now he's starting over. Mm-hmm. But, and he's shared my stuff so many times on his wall that it drives droves of people to me. But I share it every day. And all the career capital backs up this whole thing. But the right. inflection point was probably, I would say roughly nine years. And another fairly substantial one at 10 is things just really took off steeper into what's now a slightly over 11 year career. And your stuff is just building faster and faster every day. Faster like it's, you know, that's, but that's, that's compounding, right? Everything you do now, you can do the same thing now that you did two years ago and the impact's going to be much greater. And, um, and, and it doesn't, I mean, those inflection points are fun, right? One big account shows your thing, right? All of a sudden now, you're at a new level. Like it doesn't take much, but you have to network. I mean, what, do we, what am I doing behind the scenes? Like I know exactly the type of people that are right for the type of community that I'm building. I know how to identify them. And so we're doing the best fitness posts of the week. That's a great way to reach out to people who I want to go deeper with. And then we're going into the, I mean, you, you share this with me, right? We're going into the story reshares of our posts. Most of my posts will get hundreds of shares. Most of those people aren't following me and don't tag me, but you can see that they shared it. And so we're going through those one by one. And we know exactly, I'm saying we, cause I have a community manager who helps me with this. We know exactly the type of person It's not necessarily follower count that has something to do with it, but we know the type of person that is right for our community. And they've already shared my thing. So we reach out to them and we build a relationship with them and we bring them in because an account that has, I mean, we had, I remember we had one day where we had three different accounts that were 150,000 plus followers that had shared our material. Mm -hmm. And we went in and now all three are following us and all three are continuing to share with us because we went into those reshows and we found them and we built relationships with them and we followed them and then they followed us back. Now they see our stuff more often. If we never went and did that work, there would have been that one share, but then they would have been gone. And so it's a lot of that work. And then it's these podcasts, man. I'm doing 60 podcasts, right? <laughs> and I, and I, you know, it's interesting. I put, out a, I put out a note that just said, hey, if you have a podcast, I would love to be on it. Okay. I don't care if it's brand new. I don't care if you have zero listeners, right? I would love to be on your podcast. And the reason for that is quite simple. I'm looking to build relationships with people who are going, who are invested in their careers. And I'm looking for indicators that these are the type of people that are probably going to increase their influence and be around for a long time. And having a podcast is a very good indicator of that. I'm going on these podcasts to build connections with the hosts of the podcasts, not to listen to their audiences. And so a bunch of people messaged me and they said, 
Hey, bro, I got, you know, you want to just do an IGTV together? I said, no. Because that, the, the goal is not to access your audience, right? The goal is to identify the people who show that they're likely to be around for a long time and do great work. And going out of your way to have a podcast, right, shows that you are invested in what you're doing. It's an indicator to me, and I want to get to know you. And I have the same decision-making criteria. I talked with Don about, you know, what do you say yes to? What do you say no to? And I know mm. that John Berardi's got a very famous article on the PTDC about this very thing. Yep. And I'm bumping up against that on a routine basis now. What am I saying yes to? What am I saying no to? And right. if someone asks me to be on their podcast, I make a point of saying yes. And I've probably been on, I would say 50 in the last year and a half. Just, I mean, you're going to do that this week just because you put the call out, but that's pretty. I'm not, I'm not going to do that this week, but I'm going to do that in three weeks. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. It's a lot of podcasts. That is a lot of podcasts. You get, you get really good at explaining yourself. Like this is my fourth podcast today, right? You yeah. get really, really, really good at telling stories and figuring out how to kind of spin ideas and whatnot. So it helps. And I remember there were two things, and, and this was in a presentation I did at uh, Tim Art's event. Okay. There are, there are two ways I remember seeing, finding influential fitness industry leaders when I first started. I would, they would be contributors on T Nation or similar entities, or they would be guests on podcasts like the Fitcast or Danny Lennon's Sigma Nutrition, the big ones of the day. And I remember very distinctly, and this is the thing that was in the, in the article, thinking, okay, well, there's this tier, the status of coaches who are the industry leaders. And then there's the rest of us on the gym floor. And I couldn't fathom what the steps were to bridge that gap. And to me, it just seemed like there were just these two different distinctive tiers and it's an insider's club and, and everybody else. And I remember thinking, and this is a self-limiting belief, a story I used to tell myself that, well, I would never be able to do that. I'd never be able to write for these publications. I would never get asked to appear on these podcasts. And it became very surreal when the dominoes started falling and leading to all these things and more. And the, the big message in there too is, is be very careful about the stories you tell yourself and the self-limiting beliefs that you subscribe to because you and I are both putting out there in our media, here's how you do it. This is the path that we've taken. This is what's happened. And anybody who's willing to put in the work and embrace it, I get asked all the time, how do you get, how do you write for T Nation? And I usually get kind of two responses. I, I, do I tell you write for T Nation. I haven't, I've never written for T Nation. How do you write for T Nation? Well, you could if you wanted to. And I, <laughs> I don't funny, like, I've still got <laughs> Luke Hosevar in there. I got yeah. Ben Mudge in there and you introduced me to Ben. But uh, ultimately, I just connected with Danny Sugar through either. I reached out to her and said, hey, I love your articles. I've been reading them for years. I'd love to have you on the podcast. Value the podcast. Connectivity. Yeah. 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 Danny starts listening to podcasts before I even asked her. Then I got her on a couple weeks later. She turns around within a month and says, hey, would you consider? She's all worried that I would even say no. Would you consider writing for Teenage? I'm just like, holy shit. And up to this point, I'd been writing articles for my website, which was key. I had to get that website done. You guys have been sharing my stuff on the weekly best list, which was really cool. And then my writing had gotten more traction. Right. But when I'm asked, how do you get on there? I tell people, do you have a website and are you writing for it? Yeah. And then a lot of people say, uh, no, and they don't want to. And that's the end of the conversation, because if you're not willing to do that, why on earth am I going to introduce you to the editors, for starters, but you're not willing to do the work? My friend, Daniel DeBrock, he turned around 
he started, he read the books on writing. I suggested he started writing his own stuff. Yeah. He kept submitting, 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 got published, gets a teen nation credit. Then he starts writing for Kabuki strength. He starts writing for elite FTS. You guys shared a lot of his stuff for a while when he was really being good. Prolific. I just did it. I just did a podcast with him yesterday. I saw it. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good dude. I mentor him uh, recent and he's the one who connected me with Kabuki education week. Mm, cool. So it's funny how these little things. In the that's the thing, right? It's, it's a big industry, but it's a small industry. And, um, and you will find once you get into it that everybody knows each other. And that's also why you don't burn bridges, by the way. Um, you know, everybody knows each other. Everybody works with one another. And you never know. You never know what somebody's going to become. I mean, I've been in the online fitness industry for 11 years which basically makes me a great grandfather. <laughs> and it's crazy to think about that, but the reality of it is this turns over every two or three years. I have seen so many people come and go, but I've also seen a lot of people stay. And I figured out that there are some very strict commonalities amongst the people who stay, the people who do well year after year after year, right? And it's, it's treating, it, it, it's, it's treating the little guy the same as you treat the big guy, right? You know, I don't care who you are. I will judge you by how you treat the wait staff at a restaurant. And it's doing good work and actual tangible work, right? It's not pointing at fucking words on a TikTok and saying I've produced my content for the day. Who gives up? fuck about that what are you doing what are you saying what's the where's the thoughtfulness where's the strategy behind that what message are you putting out is there consistency amongst your messages is there congruency amongst your platforms in the messaging amongst your 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 platforms and um and you very rarely see that because you see people chasing after whatever is like good for the algorithm right um and and the people who do that they don't last more than one or two cycles because you can't, you can't go chasing spikes, man. It's like the kid who's swing trading NFTs and crypto right now. Like, I don't care if you win right now with a big trade on some weird monkey GIF, you know, you, you're not going to be doing this for a long time. Like you might win, but there's this misconception that people who win made good decisions and that's what led to them winning. And there's, there, you know, there's a lot of luck involved. And so somebody who's in a position of authority or somebody who's had success with something, just because they're there doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything to learn from that person. Now, if somebody's been able to stick around a long time, if somebody has a good reputation for multiple people, right? who all have good reputations. If somebody has been able to be repeatedly successful in multiple different ways, then there's probably something there fundamentally that you can learn from. But you know, if somebody won one time because they had some thing where they pointed at words that went viral, um, good for them. Like, I hope they do well. I hope they, you know, turn that into a great message that helps people. But there ain't anything there for you to learn, <laughs> you know? Like, like that's the, I think that's the misconception. And that's, that's what I'm really hoping to show is that 
it is much more valuable to figure out fundamentally the principles of what it is that you need to do in order to be successful in this field. I think you're a fantastic demonstration of that, right? Build your career capital, support others, put out messages, understand the different archetypes that tell the stories. And it's not about you, right? You have stories that reinforce the philosophies that are valuable to you. And you find people that reinforce those philosophies and you tell their story, right? That's valuable. Very specific example, you're referring to my clients, Larry and Bailey on my Instagram. Larry is a 71 year old who is way stronger than most of you listening. Larry is is really cool. <laughs> so go, go I love watch. how you said that. It's true. Go watch videos <laughs> of him doing farmer's carries and deadlifts and squats. I mean, the man, you know, he's 71 and he can take a two-plate safety bar squat below parallel. He moves around. He's five foot four. He's, he's it was just funny. It was just, it was just funny you said that. It's like, it's like I'm, I'm going to be straight with you. I'm going to be straight with you. This 71-year-old guy has old man strength. And can lift you up to people. <laughs> and so can Bailey. So this 25-year-old uh, young woman who's a coach at my uh, gym as well. And I mentor her and I, and I coach her. And I've got her doing supported Bulgarian squats for 200 pounds per leg for six. She's outlifting most of you guys. She can and outlift me. She's, she's a remarkable, uh, you know, example of like skill and professionalism and strength and all this. But they're, they're great. Not just are they great stories, but they're great client avatars. Mm. Larry's 71. And I've got a young woman who's being strong. But I'm sure you're short on time. And I think family's beckoning. So I won't hold you up much longer, John. This has been fantastic. When, when your wife walks in in a bathing suit, you just immediately don't want to be on a podcast anymore. Well, let's, let's get hey, you to go hang out with your wife. <laughs> uh, let's remind everybody where to find you on your media. Instagram is the only place that matters to me right now at it's coach Goodman on Instagram. Right. And you're going to be building a lot more of your stuff around your brand name because yes, we sir. discussed that your branding counts for a lot. All the work that you put into uh, your career. I hope so. I hope it's everybody cool. listening enjoyed this. I hope you'll go check out what John is doing. You'll learn a lot from him. I have over the years, go check out his books, message me if you have specific things you're looking for because um, these books are phenomenal. There's 11 of them. So I can help you pick up which one to start with getting clients and referrals. I'm in there too. So I think that's the best place to start actually. And uh, if you are new to finding me and you've somehow picked this podcast out of all the ones that John is sharing on his social media, I appreciate it. Go check out my last episode with Don Saladino. You'll love it. He's phenomenal. Go check John's older appearances. You'll hear us talking about different things that are relevant in those space and time. And I actually kind of want to go back and listen to my old ones with you because I did one on your podcast with Dean and then I did one with you when you started by yourself. And I'm fascinated to go back and listen to those because I feel like that would really like kind of showcase the journey, right? Mm. I think that'd be really interesting. I'm going to do that. Yeah, do that. Dean is funny when he gets on these rambling, incoherent uh, spiels about esoteric shit, but he's doing well. His little kid is cute as hell. So uh, I get together with him really soon. Anyway, thanks, everybody. And thank you, John. I appreciate having you here, brother. Y'all stay classy.